0: My name is Paul Gerhardt. I'm the um, project director for a project known as the uh, Creative Archive at the BBC. Some of you will have heard about this already, and some of you will have seen other presentations about it. And I'm really going to use this as an opportunity to bring you up to date with what's happening. Uh, Before I do that, I just want to show a very short video that explains what it's about, so that I don't have to go into a long wordy explanation myself. So I'm going to show you this, and then I'm going to tell you what's the status of the project at the current time. So that was the proposition. and What we did with the Creative Archive project was to identify a portion of the BBC's archive, film, uh, TV and radio, uh, that we wanted to release for creative u- reuse by the, uh, the BBC's public um, and the people who pay for the BBC in the UK. Uh, under the new way in which the BBC is run and regulated, what we had to do was to, uh, to run that as a trial and to collect the data to prove that it was going to be of value for money and that it was going to have a limited impact on the existing commercial markets and video and so forth for the BBC to proceed with this on a big scale. So what we did was to run the project for nearly 18 months and uh, we released about 500 items of content. And over that period of time, we had around about 100,000 registered users, they needed to register in order to access the site, but it was completely free for them to do so. And those were users, including both um, educationalists, learners of course, but also people who are interested in natural history, example there, or people interested in local history, um, uh, and all kinds of other topics. All of the content we released was from our factual and news areas, and we were quite restrained when it came to the entertainment and uh, um, and fiction content because we knew that there were going to be much more complex rights issues to tackle. Now, um, as a, a pilot, it was, a, um, a, I think, a reasonable success, and it provided us with a lot of data to demonstrate that there was a huge public appetite <coughs> to um, to engage much more, um, much more strongly with the BBC's archive. Since then, however, we've faced a really complex set of issues in the BBC, a big challenge, because the BBC in the UK now is a heavily regulated institution. Uh, I would even use the term over-regulated in its current status. The new BBC Trust, which was replaced the old Board of Governors of the BBC, is um, the, the, the regulator of the institution appointed by the government and unfortunately now containing, I think, very few experienced broadcasters amongst its trustees. The function of the trust is to simply approve what the BBC does and to provide um, either um, uh, encouragement or or discouragement about the the services that the BBC offers to the UK public. Every new idea, um, every new proposition and the Creative Archive was, certainly came under the parameters of being an extremely new proposition, challenging one, every new idea has to go through what's called a public value test. And that's a test that takes between six and nine months in the UK. And the service has to go, undergo a, an exhaustive study. Both of its, um, as I mentioned earlier, both of its value to the people who pay for the BBC but also its market impact on the rest of the sector. And all of the evidence for that is weighed up and a decision is made about whether it should go forward. The trust has been in operation now for um, um, uh, 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 at least six months, and it's only had time to consider one, one new idea. So we have a kind of logjam. We have a logjam of of exciting new propositions flowing out of the BBC's Strategy to renew its charter, which it successfully renewed last year, and that renewal strategy involved a shopping list of new propositions to engage the audience of the future in a post-broadcast world. And those shopping, that shopping list of propositions, has now turned into a stack of uh, queuing items to go through this new BBC Trust system. The the, the difficulty is compounded, and I'm being very open about the challenges facing a major institution like the BBC here, but the the challenge has been compounded by the level of funding that the BBC has now received for the next five years. Uh, The BBC, as you know, is funded by a license fee, with a very, very small amount of supplementary income coming from commercial activities. The level of funding we receive from the license renewal um, is well below what we expected to have in the next five years and that has led to a very serious review of the priorities for the BBC in the next decade. And The, 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 the really important debate is the debate that we're having right here today and tomorrow. It's the debate about the old world and the new. It's a, the debate about being a conventional broadcaster on offering the uh, the portfolio of genres that a proportion of the public has grown up with and loved and wants to experience every day and taking a leap into a different kind of delivery, a different kind of content and addressing new audiences, many of whom are very resistant to the BBC in the way it's currently established and that debate between those two between the past and the future is of course as you would expect in many institutions and I know it's the same with public public service television in the US as well. It's now a debate over resources. The, um, The real issue for the younger generation however is that the BBC committed itself in its charter renewal process to making its assets and its content more open and accessible to that generation not just to read, but to read, write and to share. Um, and meeting that challenge and living up to that expectation is going to be a huge difficulty. It's compounded by an extraordinary decision that the BBC Trust made only a few weeks ago, um, which was that uh, there was a complaint in, uh, to the European Commission under competition law about the BBC service for the classroom, that is for uh, formal education. For the last five years, the BBC has been developing something called the Digital Curriculum, which it now delivers under the brand (coughs) BBC Jam. And this is a a, a fully um, multimedia experience based on the UK school curriculum that can be used by teachers and students alike in the classroom. 150 million pounds worth of public investment, of which 75 million pounds have already been spent. And as a result of this, of this um, complaint to the European Commission, indeed passed on to the UK government, and then forwarded to the BBC Trust, the decision was taken to first suspend and then to pull the plug entirely on the, on the whole digital, digital curriculum project. Uh, and effectively what that has meant is that the, currently the BBC provides nothing for the formal sector in the UK nothing for formal education. It has now been required to reassess what it makes for the classroom and to resubmit those plans for what I described to you earlier as the public value test which will take (coughs) between six and nine months of um, scrutiny and assessment before a decision is taken about how it can proceed. So the point I'm making here is that the BBC is in a very, very vulnerable situation in terms of measuring up to the expectations that um, it's been, uh, and the promises, it's been delivering over the last few years. In the case of the Creative Archive itself, we don't even have a date about when that public value test will actually start. And uh, it raises kind of an extraordinary issue about any new media or um, future media project of this kind, where you, you know, we had 100,000 people who were active customers and engaged with working with us to develop this whole idea, and we've had to disconnect from them. We've had to end the project. It no longer exists. We're in limbo until we get the go-ahead through the BBC trust decision, date to be determined. However, it's not all gloomy. Um, One of the important things is that the Creative Archive idea, that is the idea of broadcasters and archives sharing some of their content with the public in this way, the idea is out there. And indeed, one of the first first, uh, um, phases of the the project was that we wanted to share the license scheme itself, the Creative Archive license, based on a Creative Commons license. And we we have shared it. There are other organizations in the UK who are busy using it, whether it's the British Film Institute or indeed ITN, which is a commercial library that wants to use it to shop windows some of its its material. So It's quite possible that these other organisations will develop the Creative Archive proposition in the UK ahead of the BBC, and the BBC itself will have to play a catch-up game, maybe in nine months or twelve months' time. the, the other important thing to notice is that the BBC hasn't given up on its archive. It's still continuing, even though the resources are much more challenging, it's still continuing to develop strong archive ideas. And uh, at the moment, we've now got the archive catalog available online, which uh, at least gives people an opportunity to scrutinize what's available and to look at the um, uh, uh, to look at the gaps that the BBC has in its own, um, its own uh, data on, on its collection going back the last 50 or 70 years. Um, and it's been extremely interesting to see how this catalogue has been used. We also have a new archive trial. But instead of being in the creative archive proposition, which is read, write and share, this is a read-only trial. And this read-only trial will be starting in the next few weeks, once we've secured the final permissions from um, some of the key underlying rights holders, particularly the Writers Guild, this new archive trial will be um, offering. Oh, I'm not moving forward, Hans. Just move. Forward. This new archive trial will offer 1,000 hours of content um, and it will be selecting 500 hours that shows the depth of the archive and, and 500 hours that shows the breadth of the content. 70% of it will be TV and 30% of it will be radio. It will be closed to a group of trialists. It will be available only in the UK and streamed in this first instance. 50 hours of the 1,000 will be open to the public as a whole in order to gauge the wider public demand. So the opportunity is there for the public to continue to demonstrate its appetite for the BBC's archive. The question remains whether the BBC itself will find the resources in order to match those expectations and to deliver upon it. Um, the other point I'd like to make before, um, before uh, I, I close and hand over to Rick, who I'm looking forward to hearing from as well, is that um, I, I was really interested to hear what uh, Frank Retti was saying earlier this morning about the challenges of this new media, particularly relating to, to journalism. Um, in another part of the BBC woods, as it were, we there has been a, an extraordinary challenge in the last couple of weeks to many of the conventions around BBC current affairs journalism. Um, and this relates particularly to uh, what happened with a Um, our flagship um, uh, current affairs programme called Panorama, when it chose to investigate what was happening in the world of Scientology. Could we do our YouTube search? I'll let someone else do this while I explain it to you. BBC decided some months ago it was going to make a a programme looking at the Church of Scientology. And this is not a debate about Scientology, so I don't want to get into that. But um, if you could put in... um, If you could, if if you could look for Panorama John Sweeney. Okay. Um, What happened though, in this situation where the BBC was going to investigate this particular organization, it came up against an organization that was really quite sophisticated in its own use of the media. And indeed, every single uh, interview and every single Scene was paralleled and mirrored by Scientology's own um, own film group. Is it Panorama? Yeah, Panorama. That's it? And John Sweeney. My, it'll, that's it. That's it. Thank you. This is one of the first videos that went up, and this came from... I'm not an expert on brain injury, and when asked in that case why he kept making... This is from the Scientologist's video. ...Bainy's reaction was unexpected, to the least. Sorry, <laughs> Thank you. Um, that, that's not necessarily a typical BBC um, interview. interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, what happened was that a particularly, a particularly <clears throat> bad mistake on his part, extremely bad, uh, was captured, and, 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 not surprisingly, that went up on YouTube the week before the programme itself was due to be aired. <laughs> which caused one or two interesting editorial repercussions. One of which was they were forced to include that in the actual broadcast show, and there's no way that would have happened before. But the other thing that happened was that the BBC had to post its own YouTube response prior to the broadcast of the programme. And the Scientology video and the BBC response in turn generated about a dozen other responses of people who were mashing up those two, (coughs) comparing them, and providing their own evidence about Scientology and uh, and the issues concerned. All this happened before the screening of the network programme. Now, this is a really interesting moment, at least in the BBC, in the UK's broadcasting culture, because here you have a declared subject for a current affairs investigation. And traditionally, we know what that means. The BBC pronounces on high, it's an interesting high quality production. Um, It causes a lot of uh, water cooler conversation, as you call it the next day, and one or two people might feel offended in the way they were treated, and they might write in, and they'll get a polite reply back saying, we acknowledge your points, but you know, go away. (laughs) Margaret. (laughs) Yes, they trailed him, they, they, they mirrored, they had, their own, they had their own production crew. Yes, well he couldn't stop it because every time he was interviewing them they were, they were recording it. And so um, so, so the, the, the point is that the, the rules of, of this current affairs broadcast model relationship have undergone a very, very profound challenge. For the BBC to announce in advance what it's going to treat as a subject matter of a of a documentary in the future, will raise the possibility, not just of very sophisticated organizations like Scientologists managing to subvert it, but of course anybody with the, with the kind of equipment that's now available, in order to set their own terms for the debate and to distribute their own views at the same time before and after. Now, this has to be a force to be reckoned with for good or bad and it's going to be an extremely interesting development and I was, um, I, I, I was just struck by what Cathy um, was saying earlier this morning as well about the fact that there are kind of two tracks at the moment that um, for, for, for what's going on in this media that there is the huge upsurge <coughs> of grassroots activity of the kind that we can see reflected by YouTube and we have the much slower pace of institutional change. Uh, And I reflected on that and I thought, well, this really is the challenge for an organisation like the BBC. Is it a process of slow institutional change or is it going to adjust and have to adjust in a much more revolutionary sense to this upsurge of democratic voices that we see through YouTube? Um, And I hope that the decisions it makes about open content and an open archive in the future will be reflected in the way that takes up those challenges. Um, I'll be around to talk more later on. Thanks very much.